Good evening. I didn't make it around to you yet. Why, I'll try to make it around sometime this week. But it's uh, good to see everybody here. And um, I have to tell you, I am glad to be here. The way things started out around noon, uh, or just before noon, I really was in jail. Uh, it wasn't a real jail, but I really was in jail. And the way it happened was I had never been, uh, never stopped over at Mayberry. And so I thought I would uh, just go over there and see what it was like. And going into town, there's a hill going down. And uh, Barney Fife took a real, I mean, he got really offended that I was doing 52 and a 35. Put me in jail. And uh, I had a picture taken. That's what I sent to your pastor. Told him I might not might be a little late coming tonight, but I also sent it to some family members, and um, I'll tell you, they, uh, they have no sympathy. <laughs> My son-in-law texted back and said, finally, where you belong. <laughs> but there was all kind of interesting things that happened. Uh, somebody said, uh, if you're lucky, maybe Aunt B will show up with some home cooking for supper. And uh, somebody else said, uh, well, when Otis comes in after the bars close, why, you'll have somebody to talk to. <laughs> somebody else texts back and said, yeah, he knows where the keys are at. And I said, maybe I will be on time tonight. Amen. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun today. Got a lot of mileage out of that. I don't know why I do things like that. Uh, I guess I just get bored, you know, with driving or something like that. I know my mother-in-law, Somebody, some of you were asking about her. She's, of course, 95 now, and we have her in a nursing home close to us. But before we moved her there, she had to go to the hospital. And uh, she was there about a week in the hospital. It was a pretty stressful time, and we were all, we thought we were going to lose her there. And um, so it was kind of, a, kind of a tough week. And by Sunday morning, I had to go back in there to take care of some things, and I don't know why I did this, but uh, you'll notice I'm wearing hearing aids now. Well, hearing aids need batteries. Sunday morning I needed batteries, so I went into a CVS up there and pretended I was a deaf mute. And uh, it was a lot of fun, but the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think the manager of the CVS, he, uh, he, he's the one that kind of deciphered what I was after and after about five minutes of frustration with me, finally got me over to where the hearing aid batteries were. And then I uh, went to the uh, counter to pay for it, and the gal says, do you have a CVS card? And I just looked at her, and she goes, she holds it up, and she says, do you have one of these? <laughs> and uh, I just shook my head no, and after we got all paid up and everything, I said, uh, thank you very much, have a good day. <laughs> manager followed me outside <laughs> and I didn't do it but I this was an afterthought I thought how neat would it be to roll my windows down and put a wrap uh, wrap uh, station on and just be jiving as I'm driving <laughs> out but uh, didn't think of that in time but anyway good to be with you tonight uh, really enjoy uh, really enjoy the church here a beautiful prophet chamber. I thank you for the use of that. It's uh, always a highlight for me to come here. Young people, you did a good job tonight. That was uh, that's thrilling. Uh, it's especially thrilling to me because I 
know something about your personal lives, that it's not just something that you uh, do on when you come to church, but that your lives back up the testimony that you uh, give in song, and it, uh, that means a lot to me. Romans chapter 15 tonight, if you would, please. <laughs> Romans chapter 15, and we're going to read um, <coughs> verses, 20, uh, verses 14 through 24. <coughs> Romans chapter 15, excuse me please, I don't know whether you've had what has been going around all fall and all winter or not, but uh, I've had, it's called a upper respiratory bronchitis, I think, and I've had it four times this winter, just couldn't get over it, and the cough that comes along with it seems to just last forever, and uh, I'm not infectious or contagious or anything like that, so you don't have to be afraid of that. There are other things about me you should be afraid of, however, but that's not one of them. But um, uh, forgive me for, for my coughing. I uh, uh, teach a uh, couple of hours in a college, Bible college, National Baptist College up close to us there, about 45 minutes north of where I live. And uh, I think those kids think I have tuberculosis or something. I think I've got water here. But I'm going to trade you because I think Nathan spit in this one. He does that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I think those kids think I have TB or something like that. Uh, but anyway, uh, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. Follow along as I read aloud, please. It says, And I myself... Also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. The word admonish there means um, to remind, to caution, to warn, and to reprove gently. And it's an interesting thing, I'll just say this in passing, but it's an interesting thing that Paul uh, is... Um, commenting upon their ability to admonish one another. And uh, as I think about that, I wonder how well we do at that. Brethren, we are supposed to help one another with our Christian living. And yet, it seems today as though Christians are so thin-skinned that when you try to help people, oftentimes they just get offended and before you know it, it turns into a big thing, and oh well, no problem. They just go on down the street to a different church. But we need to learn that people tr are trying to help us. In you know, in cases like uh, is, that's what this is talking about. But he says in verse 15, nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more uh, boldly unto you, in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ, in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient 
by word or de- uh, by word and deed. Um, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elilicrum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I uh, strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard <clears throat> shall understand. For much cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these uh, many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thither, uh, thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat uh, filled with your company. Now, just before we pray, I would want to mention here that um, Paul's expresses here a desire and has a plan, actually, to go into Spain. Tradition actually has him going to Spain, but tradition is not proof. And so we're left to wonder whether he ever really made it to Spain or not. But the important thing is that we understand his intent to go to Spain because it was a place that needed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you today for your love and for your goodness, and we pray that you would help us, Father, this uh, uh, great church here, Father, with a burning desire to be pleasing to you. And, Father, as we think upon the commission that's been given and left in the lap in the hands of local churches around the world, that, Father, you might uh, just help us this week, the rest of this week and through Sunday, that we would come to a keener understanding, Father, that our resolve and our excitement about the things of the Lord might be increased and might peak again this year, and that we'd have a wonderful faith promise commitment and that folks would uh, be determined to be pleasing to you in this matter of missions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now in verses 20 through 22 that we read, Paul says that he's been busy (laughs) taking the gospel uh, to the untold, uh, and he hasn't had time to visit the Christians in Rome. Verses 23 and 24, he says he wants to come and see them and stay for a while, but please notice that Paul was so focused on reaching the untold that he says he's going to come to them, listen to this, on his way to the mission field. Spain was a mission field. And that's where he intended to go. That was his intent. But understand that as important as meeting these Christians, he hadn't been to Rome yet. He didn't know this. This was a a church that had sprung up through somebody else's witness. But he felt responsible to them to get them some good, strong doctrine because remember, They were New Testament Christians, but they didn't have the New Testament, at least all of it at that point. But his primary primary goal is to get to the mission field, even above that of 
as important as it was to be there to help the Christians that were at Rome. I want to talk to you tonight about uh, three kinds of people that missions has. And first of all tonight, we have the goers. And of course the goers, these are the missionaries. And uh, these are, we'll not spend a lot of time on this, but these are those who give their lives to the Savior for spending as he sees fit. Now, it would be nice if I could promise you this evening that if you just give your life to the Lord and submit yourself to his call, whatever that might be, looking toward the mission field, it would be nice if I could promise you that everything's going to be fine and wonderful. But history would prove me a liar because many, many times God's cho- some of God's choicest people that have been missionaries have suffered terribly for the cause of Christ. Some of them, of course, have been martyred. I think that uh, we don't know everything that's happening and going on now, but we understand that in other parts of the world, even tonight, even this day, there were people beheaded because they're Christian people. One of the things that is a concern for me is the executive director. Did I tell you last time I was here what an executive director is? I didn't explain that to you. Well, an executive director is like an old hound dog that won't hunt anymore. But the owner just couldn't shoot him, so he just kept him around and fed him till he died of natural causes. That's what I am. Said that when somewhere a preacher come up to me after he said, so you ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> but as being in a role, somewhat of a role of leadership, one of the things that concerns me with our missionaries is that as soon as the Muslims figure out that it is fundamental Christianity that really is at odds with fundamental Islam, they're going to begin targeting Christian missionaries, not just Christian people. And so we can understand and we can expect that there's going to be sometimes there's, there's many problems that arise when missionaries go to the foreign field. But these are people, when we're talking about the goers, these are people that are willing to spend their lives as the Lord sees fit. These are people that leave behind the country of their birth. And you know, it's fine that we sit and we watch the presentation of missionaries as they come through and as they even as they come back on furlough and they come and we see the uh, results of, the, of their labor and the results of our prayers and the results of our giving. And by the way, you know that you do understand that every soul that's saved on the mission field, that God puts that to your credit as well. But as we think upon that, we understand that we, we don't quite get it, I think, that these people are leaving the country of their nativity, the country of their birth, and going off to a place that they probably don't understand until they've been there for at least a term. These are countries that leave behind their culture to enter into a different culture that in many, 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 many times, in many, many cases, is can be absolutely devastating if they're not prepared for what's going to come. 
These are people that uh, leave behind their own, listen carefully now, their own aspirations, their own ambitions, their own goals, their own desires in life. Every young person that comes up uh, through the church has certainly has goals and ambitions and something that drives them, something they want to accomplish in life. But missionaries are people that lay all of that aside and they're satisfied with whatever God chooses to do with them. These are people who leave their comfort zone to immerse themselves in a strange culture and a people that they do not always understand. These are the goers. They resign themselves to the possibility that life may not be comfortable for them in many ways. Um, certainly there's no place on the face of the earth that has all of the amenities and nice things that make life so easy for us as here in America. Uh, Southern Canada would be somewhat like America, but even when you get to places like Australia and England, there's a difference, and the situation is not the same. They don't have, they don't have it as good and as nice as we do in America here. And these missionaries have resigned themselves themselves to that possibility that it may not be quite as comfortable as it was in the way that they grew up. These are missionaries that resign themselves to the possibility that they may be called upon to suffer for his name. Only the Lord knows that. When he calls people and they answer, it's only the Lord that knows what they're going to face as they, as they step out in obedience to him. And yet they're people who Regardless of what the Lord may bring into their lives, there are people who step out and gladly follow the Lord. Last Saturday, about 12 o'clock local time, Matt Northcutt's little boy, Matt, uh, do you all know the Northcutts? You, you know of them, Pastor, at least. Uh, do you know about this, what happened with them? Okay, does the church know? Okay, all right. They are, they're with All Points Baptist Mission. They serve in Arctic Siberia, a place called Vanavara, uh, and it's way up, in the, way up in the Arctic. And their little boy, his name is Elliot. I'm guessing that Elliot must be five or six years old, something like that, Andrew. Is that about right? And um, uh, Elliot went outside to play to do what they call sliding down what we would call sled riding. But they don't always have a sled, so they just slide down with whatever they can find slippery a little bit to put underneath them. And they slide down. But he came right back in, and he said, Daddy, there's smoke coming out the top. And um, so Matt went, well, went out right away and looked, and as he stepped out the door, he did a panoramic view, you know, and couldn't see any smoke. So he turned around and looked, and from behind, like on the other side of the building, he saw smoke a little bit of smoke coming up. He ran around to the back, and in an upstairs apartment, <clears throat> he says in less time than it took to tell, takes to tell it, it went from a little bit of smoke to heavy volume of smoke to flames shooting out the window. And he said that, and, and this is a 25-year-old building, probably made out of rough sawed local lumber. It would be soft wood, soft, uh, it would be uh, uh, black spruce is what it would be. And he said in, in 30 minutes, the entire thing was on the ground, burnt right to the ground. There were seven families that lived in that apartment building. 
and uh, Matt was able to get out their important documents. That's a good thing for an American to get out of a fire and, you know, when you're in Russia, because if you don't have your documentation, you're in trouble. You say, well, I thought the, the threat from the Soviet Union was, is over. Well, I've got news for you. Russia is Russia is Russia. And it's still Russia with, with many of the restrictions and so forth that they've always had. But he was able to get those important papers out and just a, a little bit of stuff that he was able to throw out the window that somebody uh, picked up and carted back away from the building and a couple of major appliances, I think a washer and a dryer, maybe a refrigerator or a stove that were close to the door there that he unplugged and he and another guy got them out. But many people lost everything. Some of them left the building without even coats. And it's still wintertime in there. It would be a minimum of 30 below zero there this time of year. And so Matt and Katie never understood or never thought that when they were buying all of that building material in Krasnyarsk and having it shipped north and even brought some of it there themselves over the winter road, that it would all go up in smoke. When I say over the winter road, if you drive out in the country around North Carolina, occasionally you'll see coming down through the woods you'll, or a far, some farmer's field, you'll see a, a pipeline or maybe a, a, power, a power line. And that's really what the, in the summertime, what the winter road would look like. Uh, a lot of it's swamp, a lot of it's across lakes, some of it's across rivers, some of it's on the river. Uh, if you've ever seen a TV show called... Um, Ice road truckers, that's, that's what it's like. That's what it is. And uh, at great expense, they brought all of that material down there to refurbish or to remodel the apartment that they lived in. You say, why would they go to such expense? And the, that's a good question, and there's a good answer for it. It's because in Russia, when people either rent or buy their apartment, and it's sort of like a, what do you call those buildings, uh, we have that people own just the inside, the apartment inside here. Huh? Yeah, yeah, and uh, same thing. But when they leave, they take everything. You see this paneling? They would take the paneling with them because they put it there. Light fixtures, there'd be nothing but a couple wires hanging out of the ceiling. Carpet, everything goes, even to the point in the place of the cover plates on the receptacles and the switches. You really can't live there. I've been in some of those buildings. I stayed in one of those buildings when I was in Russia for a couple of weeks. But they put great expense in that. All went up in smoke. Lost every, nearly everything that they had. And God's looking after them. The response has been enormous. And they're going to be fine financially. But I want you to understand something about this. That Katie and, uh, Matt and Katie have been praying that God would do whatever was necessary that they might have a breakthrough to the people to be able to minister to them in a meaningful way. You do realize as, as Americans that they're under suspicion immediately when they show up. And so we ought to pray that there would be some great bonding that would take place here, especially with those others who, those other six families that were burned out as well. And for sure, that entire village is going to be watching them to see what their response to this is going to be. 
Are they going to be sad and brokenhearted and weeping for months at a time because everything went up in smoke? Or are they going to, are they going to witness the, uh, the victorious living that Kate, um, uh, Matt and Katie are capable of? and hopefully open some real doors because Matt said that the village came together in an unbelievable way to rally around these seven families. As a matter of fact, I got one email here just a day or two ago. He said that the neighbor man where they live suggested that we try to find another place in town where we can be your neighbors. And Matt said to him, why would you want to be our neighbors? And he said, well, he said, I plan on being your neighbor for all of eternity. And Matt said it didn't dawn on him right then what the man was saying, but he said, I'm going to take that opportunity to talk to him about John chapter 14. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so we don't know why things happen to missionaries. But we should understand that they go to the mission field, they leave their home country, they leave their home culture, and they go ready to experience whatever it is that the Heavenly Father, who is always a good God, has in store for them. These are the goers. The second kind of people that we have, that we have in the world today, by the way, let me just give you quickly some, before I go on to that, to the second kind of people, some missionary quotes. Let me just read these. Uh, it's about David Livingston. He lived from the year 1813 to the year 1873, which would mean he died at about 60 years old, I guess. He was Scottish, of Scottish descent, and he was called, of course, the Pathfinder of Africa. And David Livingston said this, Cannot the love of Christ carry the missionary where the slave trade carries the traitor? I shall open up a path to the interior or perish. Now, of course, one of the things, one of the scourges that plagued Africa in the day of Livingston was slave trading. And we don't know a lot about how that all came to be, but let me just give you a quick history of how it came to be. It actually started from the northern tier of countries along the south edge of the Mediterranean Sea. The Sahara there, of course, about a thousand miles wide. But south of that, it would be, it would be called the Sub-Sahara. Um, it's where the forest started, where the jungle started. And it was actually Muslim people that went there and taught the African people how to capture and to sell their other black brothers into slavery. And, of course, they were very, the, the Muslim people were very cruel about that. Um, they, um, for instance, found it necessary, and apparently it was common practice in the day, that all men should be made eunuchs uh, because the, the owners of the slaves that bought the slaves wanted the women for themselves and didn't want to share them with the other male slaves. But this was what David Livingston found there. And, of course, we know that Livingston uh, suffered many things during his life, one of which was an attack by a lion. 
that left him crippled the rest of his life. And yet he went there because it was the bidding of God. Regardless of what the Lord saw fit to bring into his life, he stepped out in faith and went. David Brainerd, oh, by the way, David Livingston also said, death alone will put a stop to my effort. That's the kind of determination and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, he's just, I mean, wow, what a commitment that he made uh, to the cause of Christ. David Brainerd, you've heard me talk about him. He was a uh, missionary to American Indians in New York, New Jersey, and eastern Pennsylvania. Um, <clears throat> he died at, in the year 1718 at the ripe old age of 29 years of what we think probably was tuberculosis. You've heard me talk about that. But he said this. He said, here am I. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough. Send me, uh, send me from all that is called comfort. Send me even to death itself. But if be, uh, but in thy service and to promote thy kingdom. Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China lived from the years 1832 to 1905. He was an Englishman, a missionary of China, as I said. He said this, Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Now, I know that that becomes perhaps dangerously close to what is called lordship salvation, but I don't believe that that's the way Taylor meant it. For him, what he meant was, speaking of himself and perhaps others as well, what he was saying was that if we call him Lord, how dare we do so if we're not willing to step out and do his bidding? That's the intent of what he was saying. Well, let's talk about the second kind of people that are in missions. And these are actually the unsung heroes. We have, first of all, the goers. Secondly, we have the senders. These are the rope holders. William Carey, the great... Uh, English missionary to India. He's called the father of modern missions. And he was in a meeting. And um, by the way, I'll just, I'm just, I'll not say a lot about it, but uh, we today, yet local independent Baptist churches still suffer from a bad thing that happened in the early days of England. Independ uh, Baptist churches in the day we're not really willing to own the Great Commission. You'll hear me say that throughout this week. They weren't willing to own the Great Commission. And so what happened was there were societies, mission societies that sprang up. And they were parachurch, what we call, they were outside of the local church, even though they, they involved people from those churches. We call them missionary societies. And they became the sending agency, instead of the local church being the sending agency. Well, Kerry was in a meeting where uh, they were discussing some of this, and after hearing an account of the spiritual needs of India, the secretary of the meeting made this remark. He said, there's a gold mine in India, but it seems almost as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? And Kerry said, I will venture to go down, but remember, you must hold the ropes. And I say to you today, ladies and gentlemen and young people, 
that when our missionaries and the missionaries that you support that I see evidence of that back here on the board and even ourselves, when we go to the mission field, we must understand that these people are really uh, hazarding their life for the cause of Christ. It's like they're hanging by a cobweb. Uh, you know, call it a rope if you please. But somebody must hold the rope. And it falls to us here in America and in churches to hold the rope for those who dare to venture out uh, for the cause of Christ. Even if missionary, even if a missionary were indep- uh, was independently wealthy, it still would be unbiblical for him to go to the mission field without accountability to a local church. And we see that demonstrated. Would you turn with me if, to Acts chapter 14, a well-known portion of Scripture. This is not new for you, but I, wanna, I want to um, uh, read it into your hearing again. And um, he's talking here. Well, I've got to find the right book. I said Acts, didn't I? Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. It says, uh, Paul now is returning from a missionary journey. Paul and his entourage, they're coming back from a missionary journey. And it says in verse 27, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And uh, <coughs> you see that somewhat repeated a little bit again in uh, chapter 15, verse 4. It says, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And so Paul's home church was actually Antioch, the church at Antioch. And you'll see that in verse 26, just the previous verse from where I read. They come back to Antioch, and they give a report to the local church of what has happened. They go on back to Jerusalem, and the same thing happens. What is that telling us? It's telling us that Paul made himself accountable to the churches, not only the church that sent him, not only the church that commissioned him to go, but other churches that supported him or at least were involved in the ministry in some way or another. And so accountability to a local church is really what we're talking about here. And so I say to you that even if a missionary was independently wealthy, and were to go to the mission field on that on the, on the, on his own money, he would be unbiblical in doing so because there wouldn't be any accountability to a local church. Missionaries need to be accountable. I was uh, for a while I was associated with another man before I started uh, Points North Baptist Mission, and he was a, a a a wonderful speaker. He was very gifted. He could he he. I mean, he preached with the power of God upon his message. And yet today he's out of the ministry. Do you know why? Accountability. A lack, a lack of accountability in his case. He refused to, to lock his ministry into a, a relationship with a local church. He refused to be accountable to a local church and to a pastor. The result of it is, sure enough, sooner or later, He got into trouble with the finances and the mishandling of finances. And that's about all I'm going to say, but devastating because of no accountability. Everybody, listen to me, 
Everybody needs to be accountable to somebody. You, as a member of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Rollsville, North Carolina, are accountable to this church. You say, and you're accountable to your pastor. You would say, well, who's my preacher accountable to? Well, first of all, he's accountable. He's the under-shepherd. He's accountable directly to the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. But in turn, he's accountable to you. If he slips up and messes up and there's some kind of a moral failure, you need to, you know, this church will do something about it. Why? Because of accountability. We must be accountable. And so the missionaries, those who go, the goers, are become accountable then to the senders. A pastor may be the leader, but the missionary is accountable to the church. And thirdly, usually missionaries are young and broke. I said, there, you know, a, a scenario there that if, the, if a missionary was independently wealthy, well, I don't know any because most of the missionaries I know, especially when they get into missions, they're young and they're broke, two things that are common with them, young and broke, okay? And uh, so uh, they need the church, but the church needs them as well, as you've heard me say before. But the missionary, young and broke missionary, is totally dependent on God's people to send them. Let me tell you something. That's the way it ought to be because God has no other plan. If this plan fails, then missions fail because God has no other plan than the local church sending forth missionaries. Well, we've talked about two of the kinds of people that are in missions, the goers and the senders, but there's a third kind of people that are, that are related to missions. And that's the disobedient. Those whom, first of all, those whom God calls to go, but refuse to go. I was talking in my class, and when I taught Bible Institute here at Lighthouse, we talked about how that out of every 50 people that God calls to missions, about only 12 of them ever do anything about it. Only 12 of them do something like maybe come forward in a service or tell their pastor or maybe their Sunday school teacher or their mom or dad, God's calling me to be a missionary. Only 12 out of the 50 ever do that. And, of course, there's other parts that go along with that same thought. But why do you suppose that is? Why is it that we are, that, that there's such a great, uh, such a great, thing there, 38 people, that would mean out of 50 don't respond correctly to what God calls them to do. There's only one answer to it. They choose to be disobedient to what God's calling them to. Three kinds of people, the goers, the senders, and the disobedient. But there's also another subcategory, not just those who refuse to respond to God's call, there are those who God calls to help send. And they refuse to help send. I have a friend that's old and decrepit now. He lives in a retirement, missionary retirement village in Florida. But his name's Dale Baker. As a matter of fact, uh, he has a sister by the name. She's dead now. But uh, his sister wrote a book called 
God's call, I think. But single woman missionary spent her lifetime in the Chad Republic in, in, in Africa. Mary Baker was her name. But Dale was a great missionary in my book. And I heard him say something. I've never heard it anywhere else, so I don't know whether it was original with him or not, but it's a great saying. He said, everyone, every believer, every church member, every Christian must either go in person or else they must go in purse. Not to do either of those is to simply be obedient to the program of God. And I'll close with this thought. You can give your life away, or you can throw your life away, but you cannot keep it for yourself. And ladies and gentlemen, it's as simple as that. How do you fit into this thing of the, the three different kinds of people in missions? Are you a goer? Are you willing to be a goer if God should call? Are you a sender? Are you being, have you been enlisted in the great army of senders who hold the ropes as missionaries perilously dangle over the lost and the, the, sometimes traumatic conditions that they meet with on the mission field? Are you willing to be a sender? And I hope tonight that you've not decided, I hope tonight that you've not made the decision that you're just going to be disobedient. But we do make decisions like that sometimes. And sometimes we just make the decision, well, I'm going to put it off for a while. I want to make sure that this is what God wants. and That's okay as long as that putting it off doesn't develop into a habit and never comes to the forefront and never comes to a point of decision. It's okay to be careful about what God's calling you to do. As a matter of fact, if I read my Bible correctly, you're supposed to count the cost before you make such a decision. So I wonder about us this evening. As we think about this, we're right at the top of the hour. It's a good time to, to uh, close the message tonight. But what kind of a person are you that's involved in missions? Would to God that more than 12 out of 50, more than, would to God that more than just 24% of the people that God calls answer the call. I would beg you tonight, dear young person or older person for that matter, if you feel like God's been burdening you or he's calling you or he wants you to do something above where you're at and what you're doing right now, that you'd not decide to be disobedient. I can give you illustration after illustration of people that I know, that I've personally known, that have said no to God. They made a choice to be disobedient and they're, I mean, they're in church and they're doing, you know, they're doing something at least for the Lord. But it's like one woman told me that every time a missionary comes and shares their burden and, share, and, sh and shows us what's been accomplished on the mission field, she said, deep down inside my heart, I know that should be me giving, my, giving the report. What an awful thing to live with for the rest of your life. And I say to you tonight, young people and older people, if God wants you and he's calling you, don't decide to be disobedient. But decide to do as what God would have. Because there, even in the face of dangerous situation and in the face of 
persecution, there can still be joy upon your heart. You may experience, I prob- you probably won't, but you may experience a fire on the mission field and everybody will be watching to see whether you're going to pack it in and leave. But that doesn't mean the joy of the Lord is going to depart just because your things went up in smoke. Can I tell you this? That missionary life is a wonderful, wonderful way to live. I have no regrets except my own shortcomings. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, would you have your will and way in our hearts and lives tonight? We do love you. I would suggest, Father, that probably 99% of the people within the sound of my voice here tonight love you. They're saved. They're, they feel a great debt of obligation to you because of what you did for them on the cross of Calvary, how that the Holy Spirit came and convicted them and brought them to a place of repentance and faith. And yet tonight, Father, there may be somebody that's just holding back from just really letting go and letting you have your way in their life. May you speak to our hearts tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.